everybody. My name is Joe Shelton and I'm a singer, songwriter, music producer, and recording artist from Indianapolis, Indiana. Over the last year, I've stepped out and performed music on over 200 stages. Along the way though, I met a lot of great people that I didn't expect to. They were inspiring artists and songwriters and musicians. And I want to share all of that inspiration with you. So that's what this show is about. Moonshine equals love. Shine and love on the music. Moonshine and music starts now. to season two episode six of moonshine and music it's very good to have you here today we've got a great show on tap i want to talk about this next guy with a little bit of reverence he's uh kind of a rock star in these parts uh oh well a country star i guess frank dean is today's guest and frank owns uh, a guitar shop down in franklin indiana but he's been all over the place he's lived in nashville he's played with a lot of actual superstars and he's friends with a lot of them, and he talks about them during the interview today. And um, there's a, like a photo gallery in his shop of all of these incredible photos, um, you know, of him with different stars. We'll, we'll put some of those up for you uh, to take a look at during the interview. But I'm telling you right now, uh, you're going to not want to miss today's interview and performance. Frank is one of a kind, and he's a, he's a really cool cat. So... Let's just uh, stop goofing around and get right to it. Here's our interview today with Frank Dean. Welcome to Moonshine and Music, Frank Dean. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, we, uh, uh, at the start of the show, generally, we try to get to know people and where they came from and uh, what their roots are so we can get to know the artists better. Uh, so if you want to tell us a little bit about where you grow up, that'd be a good way to start. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thanks again for having me. We drove down from Fort Wayne last night. Cadillac, my par traveling partner, Cadillac Scott Parkhurst. And I have to give a big shout out to the best Western motel. It was like the cleanest, nicest hotel we've stayed in <laughs> maybe forever. Wow. Yeah, okay. I mean, everything worked. The, the towels were so big and fluffy, I didn't think Scott was ever going to get them in the suitcase. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he did. Did you just implicate Scott in a, in a, in a crime? <laughs> That's okay. Trump can get away with it. So can you, yeah, right? yeah, might as well be. Now, I was, I'm originally from... Uh, Gilman Bottom, West Virginia. Wow, I, I don't think I've heard of Gilman Bottom. Well, Is do that... you remember the, the uh, opening scene to the Beverly Hillbillies where Jed's out hunting? Yeah, and he shoots, for, that's it. shoots the oil? Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's where I'm from. <laughs> oh, okay. Pretty much. It's... So the, did you find a lot of oil there too when you were No, hunting? no, we found a lot of coal. <laughs> But no oil. But no buffalo and crude. No, no buffalo and crude at all. <laughs> Although when we moved to Indianapolis, uh, 
later. I thought we were in Beverly Hills, <laughs> even though we we moved into the, like the poorest white part of town you could move into, and I literally thought, you know. It was Beverly Hills or New York City or something because compared to what we were used to, you know, it's like, man, are you kidding? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you guys get a bathroom in the house, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> wow, you must be working it, you know. So West Virginia, you guys literally had outhouses still at that point? Oh, sure, yeah. Yep, I lived on hillsides, you know, in the, the, literally in the houses up on stilts and things like that. And, you know, uh, my grandma's house, uh, you know, we didn't, she didn't even have running water. You know, there was a pump house next to the kitchen. And you went there and that's how you got all your water for her to cook. And, you know, uh, the stoves were coal fired. And, you know, when you, took a bath you know you went in one room and you closed the doors and you poured hot water in a galvanized tub and you know that was yeah. I mean yeah, yeah I, I had to move to Ravenswood to find out how poor I'd been <laughs> <laughs> I see so uh, was your family minors or uh, yeah all of them all of them uh, and that made you want to move is that the well my dad had worked in the coal mines for four days and on the fifth day there was a cave-in oh and he said okay he just came home and said pack it up kids it's getting too hard you know and, <laughs> and so he we came up here i see what, what year was that when you came to indiana that was 61 61 yeah it was a different place then eh it was totally different uh but you know, it was cool that you know down there, you know, Hank and Lefty and all that, and Bill Monroe and George Jones was king, and so you know we came up here, and you know I got to hear rock and roll for the first time. You know, like Dion, who's still one of my idols, and things like that, and Everly Brothers and things like that, and then you know a year later the Beatles. So you know it. That was just a milestone, you know. So, so is that what inspired you to start playing, or? You know, what well, it's it inspired me to start playing the guitar. Uh, but then, a couple years later, and I'll never forget this. In fact, I was talking with uh, Marty Stewart and Kenny Vaughn last night. I'm. All, I apologize for saying that because Paul McCartney always told me not to be a name dropper. <laughs> but uh, I remember being in fourth grade and the, the school bus pulling up to the school for us to get out and we're standing by and all of a sudden, like a rolling stone comes over the speakers of the school bus. And you know, it's Bob Dylan and he's saying all these really smart you know, really gone over songs, you know, and that was it. It's like, because uh, I always loved words, and uh, that did it for me. You know, I started writing immediately, just some of the most horrible songs known to man. Uh, <laughs> you know, for you, they, they for weren't. You. They weren't as good as like a Rolling Stone no, straight out of the weren't. box. No, it was. They were just awful uh, for years and years and years. But you know, I just kept thinking, well, it's better than the last one I wrote. So, you know, someday it's going to come to fruition, you know. 
And so, but when I got in my twenties, they it was, it was a lot better. And uh, my first gig was at a place called a Turtle Island in uh, Broad Ripple. Or that's my first singer-songwriter gig. I I played earlier in some like you know school, junior high, uh, you know garage bands. Well, do you have a name for the junior high garage band? We need this oh, is a moonshine and music tradition. Jeez, uh, it was probably something like you know the Corvettes or something like that, <laughs> or or you know something really cheesy. Uh, you know, the werewolves or something like that. I don't, you know, I can't remember. But our contract <laughs> called for us to each get a pack of cigarettes and some kind of liquor. And they always ask. It literally said something. Yeah, kind yeah, of that's liquor. yeah, that, and, and some kind of liquor. <laughs> and, uh, and high standards there. And of course, our the people hiring us were always teenagers too, and it was always like, "Oh, are we going to get liquor?" And of course, we said, "That's not our problem." <laughs> <laughs> but somehow they always came through. So you know, I mean, people. I guess you know, young people. How old does that sound? Young people nowadays, but you know, it, it was really a different time, and it was, you know, everything's looked at differently. And I guess some things aren't politically correct anymore. But back then, you know, you got in a band. Nobody knew anything about BMI royalties or, or you know, uh, limousines or. You you started playing guitar, so you could watch girls dance and meet girls. You know that's why you joined a band. You know, uh, and then yeah, the folk thing hit me, and so I played at Turtle Island. I made. Where was Turtle Island located? It, I don't even know. It's, it's right in Broderpool. It's that there's a, there's a little house that sits up there. It used to be a. Uh, about music for a while. And, okay, I think I knew and that, that But they had completely torn down and rebuilt. It was just a little house that was left over because Broderville was originally a little railroad town. Right. And uh, I made $32 and the guy that booked it took $3.20, you know, 10%. What year was that? <laughs> that was something like 1970 or something like well, that. Well, inflation hasn't helped the pay for musicians, no. has it? <laughs> no, it has And you know what? The reason I quit my job and kept doing it, it's like, well, man, you know, I don't make this much work in eight hours at the garage, so, you know, so I might as well just keep doing this, you know, for two hours. So, yeah, it was, my life as a reasonable human being was pretty much over right at that moment, you know? <laughs> So, um, you, uh, I, I know that you played your way uh, around and ended up down in Nashville. How did you, how did you get down there? Uh, well, you know, I had my whole career, or so-called career, has been based on 
just standing around. And I always tell everybody, because everybody keeps saying, man, you got to write a book, you got to write a book. And I go, well, if I do, I'm going to call it, I was just standing around. Because that's really what it was. Uh, I can't put enough emphasis, if I was going to, you know, I've got, I've got a guitar shop, and I, so I have all these kids coming in, and they're going, man, what can I do to really help myself, you know, you know, and this, do this for a living? And my advice is always, you got to be available. You got to be available. You know, and uh, and this sounds really horrible, but if you, if you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, okay, that's one notch off. Got kids, <laughs> two more notches off. You oh, got a job that you think you'll need later to fall back on. Well, now you're down. You've cut it down in half. You know. I'm the guy they're going to call that I'm going to drop everything and go. And that was how I, so I just, you know, uh, and not that it always worked out, but it, it made for a lot of great friendships and connections, especially down in Nashville. And, uh, you know, it, that's a tough town and people don't realize how tough it is, you know. Uh, but back then, you could actually knock on a, publisher's door in the early 70s and say hey I got a couple songs you want to hear them and they go yeah come in you know play me a couple songs well they don't do that anymore because so many of them are in-house and you know they want formulated stuff and it's not that I'm really beating up on Nashville that's just the truth it really is uh, where years ago it's like so-and-so man has this hit record uh, we got to come up with something to be even bigger. Well, now it's so and so has this hit record. We got to come up with something just like it, and that really is their theory. And I have a lot of friends that are studio musicians and writers and arrangers down there, and that's from their words, not mine. You know, so it's really tough. It's a tough business. So, what year did you go down there first? I started going down there in the early '70s. Me and three other guys rented a house down there so that way we'd always have somewhere to camp out because there was no money down there playing and there still isn't you know it's like there's a few places to play but you know if Kenny Vaughn and Chris Scruggs are not out on the road you're not going to get their gig <laughs> in fact you're going to get cancelled if they want that gig you know uh Look, you've been double booked because right. you walked in the back door. Right. Uh, or, or you play for nothing. And the only jobs were, you know, the car wash, the village pantry, and all this other stuff. And I was making okay dough in Indiana. So we just, me and these other guys that I'd known in Nashville from all parts of the country, we just rented a place together because we figured, okay, one, you can't do anything on the weekend because all the publishing houses and stuff are closed. So it needs to be the weekday. And uh, and that way we could still keep our jobs making decent money instead of having to go down there and work for minimum wage. So that's what we did. We just got, all got a house together and it worked pretty well. Uh, you know, I got some minor cuts and stuff. Never, never really got the big stuff. Uh, What's the biggest songwriting cut you've gotten? What's the the biggest songwriting cut I ever got 
was when uh, that somebody else did was when year, years ago I'd written a song about Johnny Cash at a really low point in his career in the 80s, late 80s when he'd been dropped from Columbia he didn't have a record label it was before he came back with this resurgence thing, the American Stories things that he did with the producer what's his name uh, who's the guy's name that produced Rick Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Yeah, Rick yeah, Rubin. There we go. Yeah. So it was before <laughs> that. I, and I mean, literally, unlike today, during that 10 year period, there were no Johnny Cash fans or nobody that was admitting it. And I thought, man, this they just let him go from Columbia and this guy paid for the decks they're sitting on, you know? So I wrote this song and uh, I thought, okay, well, great, you know? whatever and then when cash died uh, I'm at my guitar shop one day and this guy walks in and says uh, yeah are you Frank and I see and he goes well I drove down here from Nashville he goes because there wasn't a YouTube then or anything you know <laughs> and he goes I heard you got a really good tribute song to Johnny Cash and I said, well, I don't know, I, I've got one. He goes, well, my name is Gene Bush and I'm managing the Tennessee Three, Cash's old band. He says, and they've been looking for a tribute song to do. Uh, and we've seen hundreds of them and they're all awful. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, and he goes, so do you, do you have a, a copy of this song? And I said, yeah. And he goes, could I have it? Well, you know how it is in bars. There's always somebody lying to you in a bar, right? <laughs> yeah. Or any or just, people just like lying to musicians uh, for whatever reason. Uh, so I made him buy the CD. <laughs> I mean, I literally made him buy it. And so it's on the CD, but they're ten bucks. He's like, uh, okay. And I thought, well, I'll never hear from that bastard again. And uh, and two days later, the uh, Tennessee Three call me, and they go, yeah, this is Bob Wooten, and we heard the song, we really love it, and we're, if it's okay with you, we're going to the studio tomorrow to cut it. And uh, I said, great. And then about a week later, they said, hey. Man, the song worked for us. It's getting all this airplay, and we've got offers now to play Europe and have one last chance at making some dough before we retire. And and so I, people go, man, how did that cash tune do for you? And I go, well, the Tennessee Three got the tour one more time, and I got to buy a Harley. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out pretty well, good. There's that. That's pretty yeah. decent. So yeah, and that that was. And, you know, Cash had always been such a hero of mine. That was, uh, it was really rewarding. You know? Yeah, so you met Johnny? Yeah, several times, yeah. Because yeah, I, I know I was in your shop not long ago, and there are a lot of great pictures up, and I'll put some of them in the show. Um, uh, but I, I've, I was impressed with the, uh, just all of the people that you know that have been on the wall in your in your shop. I was just standing around, Joe. <laughs> Standing around getting photos taken with famous people. It's kind of cool. Now, you know, the, the 
I probably get asked more about that photo than any photo in the store because everybody was going, what's Johnny like? Because, you know, there was that image of John. John was really funny. That's what he really was. He was really funny. He had a great sense of humor. He obviously had a serious side, but it's almost like he reversed what everybody else did. You know, everybody else is real kind of stoic in their life, but they're real happy when they get on camera. John was always really serious about music stuff and what he recorded. And off camera, he was kind of a cut up, you know, and he was always saying funny stuff, you know. And, uh, well, you know, anybody who would write The Boy Named Sue does have a sense of humor. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I think Shel Silverstein wrote that, but but John did write some oh, great yeah. songs that I mean, were very know, funny. Yeah. That song's just so funny, oh. and every time that you hear him sing it, you laugh. You know, I mean, at least I do. John likes stirring things up. You know, he was one of those guys. Uh, well, definitely. I mean, the Folsom Prison Blues has stirred things up. And right, and but the you know, song. when he did his TV show... He uh, he had just cut Chris's song "Sunday Morning Coming Down," mm -hmm. and he was going to perform it that night. And uh, and I got this straight from Chris, so it's 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 not some wives' tale or something. Uh, ABC, I think it was ABC that had the show, had come to him and they said, "Look, you can't say." wishing I was stoned because nobody had ever said that on TV before hmm. and he said why not and they go well we don't want using drugs to be around the show and they said, he said well am I supposed to sing and they said well can't you sing uh, wishing I wasn't so alone or something like that and he goes eh, that doesn't meet her and they said, well, we'll come up with something. And they, they did come up with something. And if you go on YouTube and you look that up, Sunday morning coming down cash uh, on that show, doing Sunday morning coming down. When he gets to that line where he goes, uh, where it says, Sunday morning sidewalk. Wishing Lord, you know, he looks up in the balcony right before and he winks at Christofferson and sings, Wishing Lord that I was stoned. And I just did it anyway, you know. <laughs> and I always thought, what a great, you know, how great is that, you know. They didn't have any delay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in your in your uh, musical career, one of the bigger highlights, I think, is Syndicato. Yeah, um, and um, sixteen years. How, how did you all? Go? I mean, we we had John Martin on not long ago, and he talked about the origins of the band as well. Um, you know, from your perspective, what was the uh, impetus for firing up a, a group like that? Well, you know, first of all, we had. We get all this credit for, oh, you guys really kicked the Americana thing in gear. You guys were the first. You were the ones that, you know, that did it and from people I respect even. And it's not that I don't appreciate that, but we didn't even know what Americana meant then. 
you know, what it started was, was I had just finished a rock and roll album, and Gary Wasson and I had been playing with some folks playing rock, and I thought, you know what? It was my parents' anniversary, and them being from the, the rural West Virginia, I put together like three songs that sounded like the songs they grew up on back in the hills. And Gary and I recorded them for them, you know, for their anniversary. And what we found out in the middle of that recording was, man, you know, we should do an album of this stuff because nobody's doing this. I mean, everybody was doing the big hair rock, you know, much so, and not even playing an acoustic guitar. So we, uh, we made the first Syndicato album, uh, Appalachian Pipeline, and people started booking it and everything. We thought, well, this will be a couple months notoriety or something, you know. And then it got the folk album of the year by the Star News, and then we decided to go, well, you know, I'm one of those people, I really do believe in art. Uh, I've never once written a song or produced a record, uh, Scott will tell you, uh, with the idea of it being popular, which shows also how stupid I am. But uh, <laughs> it's always been about the art for me. And when we decided to do something different, like when the Black Album came around, we added uh, Carlos Sasso on drums and John Martin. And put some electric guitars on it and thought, okay, well now they'll all hate this because it's not acoustic folk. Nuvo and the Star News both gave it album of the year. <laughs> you know, and we got band of the year that year. <laughs> and I kind of got tired of all that and I said, well, we've had enough of that, so let's do something different. So, uh, we decided we'd do a bluegrass record, just completely do a complete left turn out an outfield, and then it got album of the year. So <laughs> it was like, okay, uh, you so know, we we played from album we from the, the east all the way to Portland, Oregon. We did a three-year stretch where we were opening and being a support act for maybe every major country or roots act in America. It, I mean, we were constantly out there. We had one July that we did 26 dates in 30 days, and the June before, we'd done 24 in 30 days. I mean, it was constant moving, you know. Uh, and I, the, you know, when something's done, it's done. We do one <laughs> show a gig, or one show a year now, uh, at the Jazz Kids. We just had one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I had to. I was out of town and I couldn't go, and I was sad. And people always go, <laughs> "Man, why, why did you guys have to break up?" And I always tell them, "Look, we were together twice as long as the Beatles." You know. <laughs> Get and over they, it. They broke up. Yeah. So, yeah. You get over it. You've got all the records. Go home and play them. You know, come see us once a year. We'll play them for you. you know? 
<laughs> so that's the syndicato thing. I, so I still there's like no hip hop album coming. Nah, no. Nah. I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> John might, but I think he's probably the only one enlightened enough out of the, of the four of us. To, <laughs> to he's probably that. the only one of us that's ever heard a hip hop album. Well, that's not true. I, I like Eminem, or I did, but I haven't heard from him for years. But uh, well, um, do you want to play some music today? Sure. We'd love to have you play some songs for us. Alrighty, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for coming up. Uh huh. It's great Anytime. to have you. Next time on Moonshine and Music, John Gilmore takes the stage. If you're looking for folky roots music, it's going to sound something like this. Well, you ain't real sharp, set the knife to the spoon. You might as well throw rocks at the man on the moon. You're just a-wasting your time. Hell, that's all you're doing. You can beat a dead horse, but it still won't run There's been too much said and too much done Between the two of us They can't be undone This song is about uh, being a kid and traveling back and forth between West Virginia and Indiana and sleeping in the back dashboard back when you could do that without getting a ticket. And thanks to my buddy John Gilmore for the loan of the guitar. I recorded the song originally on a guitar just like this, so it's like a homecoming or something. The days I look outside my window Dream about my Appalachian home. Sometimes I think about my scattered kinfolk. I wonder if my loved ones have all gone. There are times I only stare in silence, thinking back what I do different now. Sometimes it's all I think about But at night I hear Hank Williams free train And I understand about those kind of blues I miss the music coming out the dashboard At filling station sometime in Matitude Some old smoke-filled bar But at night I hear Hank Williams' freight train And I understand about those kind of blues I miss the music coming out the dashboard 
filling station sometime after two. At a filling station sometime after two. Thank you. I guess since we talked about the the Tennessee Three recording the Cash song, I should probably do that. And it's real easy. I don't have to do the Nashville thing of spending 10 minutes talking about a two-minute song. Sing Big River, and it chilled me to the bone. I heard you moan, hey, Porter, and leave your guns at home. Five feet high and rising, come on, it's picking time. You walk tall each time you walk the line. Now the Luther's place, boogie from the home of the blues. I still miss someone, but I will rock and roll with you. Give my love to Rosie while I'm busy doing time. You walk tall each time you walk the line. Singing bass and picking on a flat top box Blistered from the cocaine blues and getting rhythm on If I can't hear the wanted man, I'll cry, cry, cry You walk tall each time you walk the line Many years have passed since I first heard you through the tubes But nothing since has got to me like hearing Folsom blues I thank you for the backbeat and the guitar keeping time You walk tall each time you walk the line You walk tall each time you walk the line This is the most depressing song I've ever written in my life. It's great, which makes it great for a Sunday morning. I was extremely blessed that even, and I even hate that term, but I was extremely fortunate that I grew up in the South in a very racist part of the country yet had a mother who was a person who was adamant about a, how abhorrent that all was. And here's a song about that. Gaines was angry 
Stuck in changing times Sat up in the barber chair And coldly spoke his mind Boys, I watch the TV Damn near every night There's things that's going on around here That we all know ain't right Them darkies in the bottom would be taken up with Jews They're instigating trouble, boys, right here in our hometown We've got to show these eastern folks we don't need them around They're meeting in that rundown church, preaching about their rights Any interested man can watch it burn tonight Cans of gasoline, I'll take it to the ground. Morning comes and voting boys ain't nowhere to be found. Nighttime falls and Virgil throws a shotgun in the truck. Bows his head and says a prayer for victory and luck. Pulled a five and ten cent comb through greasy cold black hair He had business in the bottom, but he had no business there There inside the choir raised and sang the Savior's name Moments later God's own house was covered up in flames Virgil stood and watched the flock go running for their lives Never given one good damn if anyone survived Virgil heard the windows burst, he smelled the poplar pews Held his head up proudly as the roof came falling through one thing Virgil didn't see, at least not in good time The fiery rooftop cross that now lays solid on his spine Now a dozen decent, desperate men cleared Virgil of his name The chief of police shook his hands as he removed the chains But Virgil gains his crazy on his mind Cause he's trapped there in that wheelchair While he waits on time Thank you Thanks Sean for the guitar Yeah, yeah, yeah Frank Dean told you Told you it was going to be great Anyway, Frank Dean Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for coming into Moonshine and Music. And next week, make sure you tune in on Sunday. We're going to have John Gilmore here with the Folk Roots kind of uh, Americana, uh, you know, trilogy. He, like, mixes it up that way. He's really good, and he will be here next week. And we really appreciate you joining us each week for Moonshine and Music. Moonshine and Music is a presentation of Not Less Entertainment. Copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Our producer for today's show was Joe Shelton. Our cameraman grip and stunt double was Brent Lee Smith. And also helping out on cameras, setup, and all sorts of other things, Bailey Shelton. Thank you for joining us, and join us next week on Sunday for Moonshine and Music.